another episode of the ARC podcast with Jen and Lindsay. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm great, Lindsay. How you doing? Hanging in there. It's May, December. Are you exhausted? I'm exhausted and I, I keep planning things um, and I keep saying yes to things and then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that my kid's school thinks that I should be there like every day for a Monday <laughs> and field trip and pizza party and end of the year I'm just like come on I got like what 10 days of school left like let me just get my job done and um you know run all my errands and plan and try to keep my sanity for 10 more days I know like the countdown to summer I'm dreading which I feel bad saying that because I want to spend time with my kids but yeah Lane how are you doing today I'm good how are you doing good thank you for having me I'm I'm so grateful to be here today so can you tell us about Kaleidoscope and everything that you do absolutely um so at Kaleidoscope I'm the community education and research manager um if you haven't heard of Kaleidoscope though we are the largest and longest serving organization in Ohio dedicated solely to serving and supporting LGBTQ plus youth We do that in a myriad of different ways. Um, What we're most well known for is our drop-in center. So young people can come on their 12th birthday and they age out on their 21st birthday. And while they're in our space, we have affinity groups like QPOC, Ace Space. um, And then we also have uh, like art night and movie and pizza night and just provide a safe space for young people to hang out. Um, everything at Kaleidoscope is 100% free and 100% confidential, which is really great. Uh, so then our newest department started in 2019 and it's community-based wellness and they do wraparound case management for youth ages 16 to 24 facing housing insecurity. So we can provide gas money, uh, rent money, bus, bus passes, let's see, food, clothing, toiletries, anything that they need to make their lives a little bit safer, uh, we try to help with that. Um, And then, yeah, what I do is we try to take the safe space we've cultivated at the drop-in center and expand it out into other areas of the community. That's wonderful. Yeah, I saw that your your board is um, very um, youth-based too. So I like, because in the disability community, we try to make sure that our boards um, and our nonprofits you know, at the ARC always has people with disabilities on our board. Right. Um, I'm, it looked like you were doing the same thing at Kaleidoscope, like for us, by us. Like, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We just had a conversation about that yesterday, about like uh, the various identities on the board and making sure that we have as many experiences re- represented as possible. Good. Yeah, we would, we, we should start um, every conversation asking for pronouns, Lane, and you, you asked that at our at the beginning and my pronouns are she her Lindsay go ahead mine are she her okay as well yep right and I use they them pronouns okay great love it so we wanted to meet with you this month because pride month is in June and we figured you'd be too busy then and we also (laughs) wanted to like prep people for pride month and kind of knowing like what activities are happening and Obviously it's just one month out of the year guys. So we kind of have the same thing in our disability community where it's like, this is all year, 
Um, but we know that, you know, this is a really good time for awareness and kind of learning about what the struggles are. And you already mentioned housing. What are some other struggles that um, some of the youths come into your um, facility with? Absolutely. That's a good question. So I think people think that maybe things got better in the 90s. Like we left that so gay in the 90s, but um, it's alive and well. And so that kind of language and that, I don't know, feeling toward LGBTQ identities is still rampant. So in schools right now, young people are dealing with being outed by teachers, being pestered by their peers. Um, the rates of discrimination in schools specifically are really quite alarming. Um, but then not only that, our young people have all of the other isms in our institutions to contend with. So they've got racism, classism, sexism, ableism, the list goes on. Um, and so that's a lot to carry as a young person. It is. And I think the intersectionality um, is something that we just don't talk about enough. Um, and especially with disability, um, where Lindsay and I come from, I think it's like, what do you kind of like deal with first? You know, we're always thinking like, oh, this person has autism. So like, that's where we come from. But when you're black and have autism, it's a totally different story. Mm -hmm. Or if you're LGBTQ plus um, and have autism, your story is different. And so how can we in our community kind of help guide some of the people that come over to the ARC? And would you, do you feel like Kaleidoscope is, is a good safe space for people who also have a disability like autism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you accessible for people with disabilities there? Okay. So those those are two good questions. <laughs> let me think. Wait, let me plan my answer. Um so I think I'll start with the kaleidoscope accessibility question because we talked about it yesterday in our staff meeting. We had like two hours to chat about this. Um, and one thing is that we are located in the historical district of Old Town East, Columbus. So the building codes are difficult to work with when it comes to making improvements in accessibility. And that's been our biggest barrier. But we've been working on renovating our carriage house, which is like the second little building attached to the first one in the back. Um, and this one is super exciting because we do have many more accessible features in the carriage house. Um, so something like, you know, having the knobs on a stove right in front rather than having to reach over the hot stove to, to access. So we have a kitchen like that um, and we're working on adding in ramps. We have a ramp and an accessible entrance, but it's not somewhere on the back. So we're doing the best of what we have, but um, definitely there are so many ways that we still plan to improve. But then not only for physical disabilities, we also have lots and lots of neurodivergent young people that come and hang out in our space. And so we always do our best to make it a sensory friendly place. We've just gotten these wonderful lamps so we don't have to use overhead lights. Um, nice. And then I was lucky enough actually to go speak with the Ohio School for the Deaf GSA recently. Mm. And uh, we talked about having them come in and then as a staff we reviewed our protocol for requesting interpreters and things like that. That's yeah. great. That's good to hear. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the second question that I missed though? I know this is what I do. I kind of start talking and thinking and like <laughs> so many questions I want to ask, but then I'm like, maybe I should stick to my plan, but it's, I never stick to the plan. Never does. It's fine. Oh I wait, never. I think I remember it. It was about intersectionality. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think 
that's a big topic. <laughs> but if I had to give one piece of advice kind of universally, it would just be that you're never going to just be disabled or just be LGBTQ. You also have a whole life of, you know, an immigration status, uh, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity. So being willing to meet someone at the table where they can bring all of those identities and have all of them working together because you can't separate them out. Um, and just not expecting someone to try and make their identities smaller or more comfortable for us to work with. Yeah, that's where I think, feel like labels. I mean, for us in our community, like I have to get labels for my kids to get services. And I think they're important um, and especially when you have like small children, they didn't, especially my Jack with autism, he didn't talk, you know, at first. So it was like, I'm doing these things for him, but he doesn't have his own agency to tell me like, well, I don't want you to use autism, you know, when you're talking about me in public. And um, so I always kind of went and learned from autistic self-advocates on what they would want to be called. And we kind of have this thing in the autism community where it's like, is it first person language? Or do you say, um, you know, I, more identity language, identifying language, I think. And um, I'm trying to work with my son who's 12 now on what he still like, is not sure quite yet, like where mm -hmm. he is on that. Um, but I feel like it's the same or similar um, in the LGBTQ plus community from what I know that it's like person specific, like it's just individualized. So just ask the person or yeah. let that person tell you um, how they want to use their labels. And do you find that, that it, you know, you have a safe space there at Kaleidoscope and it's a lot easier there, but then it's like, how do you prepare like young people to go out and really like be confident in those labels? and yeah. say this is who I am because like I love that's what I want is for my son and for other young kids to say like this is who I am and this is how I want to be treated but I think it's hard when you're not in your safe space oh, yeah. like you said at school mm -hmm. absolutely it's oh it's just hard to be a young person and to to be growing up um and you're right we do very much have our little LGBTQ utopia at Kaleidoscope. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I walk outside into the real world and realize that not everybody is part of the community, which, which I shouldn't be surprised by, but I always am. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think just being an affirming adult and saying like, this is part of who you are and it's a wonderful part and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and if it changes over time, that's fine because those labels, um, they can feel like a fight to find one that fits. And then maybe a couple years later, it's a different label and that's fine. It's just a phase. Um, but we love our young people through all of their phases. So that's yeah, what I would it's say. Just like an openness, like, yeah. yeah, just like Lindsay and I were just talking about this on the last podcast. Like mm -hmm. we just need to give some space. Like if I can just help advocate for my kids and just give them some space and let them be who they are and create that space or help them create that space. I think that's like all my job is and as mm -hmm. an ally um, or as someone who just, like you said, like I was born in the eighties and to me it was like, 
I mean, maybe I'm right in the middle of those generations, like millennial Gen X, but to me, this is like, why is this so hard? I don't mm -hmm. understand. But I'll, at the same time, when I, I have my kids and the disability piece, I mean, I, I see how hard it is mm -hmm. just to make that okay in a classroom. And I still like, I'm like you, I'm like, are we still like, I don't, I thought everybody was okay with yeah. this. And then I'm hitting, I hit these walls and I'm like, I have to remind myself, no, like you have a lot of educating to do. Like, that's basically all I do is just educate. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But Lindsay, what, what other questions do we have? Um, are you guys watching anything? Jen and I do policy for the yeah. arts. Like that is our bread and butter that we get excited about. I like to do the conversation stuff and talk to people. And Jen loves to read things like Medicaid, which <laughs> I get so overwhelmed and just give me like the highlights. And she's like yeah. all about I remember I was flying somewhere a couple of weeks ago and she's like, you know, you could read this. It's 50 pages. And I was like, I think I'm just going to watch a movie. Like, yeah. Hang so, out. <laughs> my husband just made fun of me the other day because I was like, where can I get 390 pages printed out? Because I'm really tired of reading this <laughs> on my computer. And he's like, what Kinko's. are you talking about? I know, but I was like, at Kinko's, it was 38 cents a page. And I was like, wow, that's, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. I know. And I was like, come on. And Chris is like, you don't print out 400 pages, Jen. You just read it online or like, who reads 390 pages? What are you doing? And I'm like, I wrote this <laughs> policy brief. It's like a civil rights policy brief on 14C, like some minimum wage for people with disabilities. And I want to read the whole thing. And I love this stuff. So it's like, but I, but I want to yeah. sit on my couch and like read it, you know, like at night. That sounds, I mean, that sounds really interesting. I can't, yeah. I don't, can't say that I would get through it, but I'm glad <laughs> that you can. <laughs> no, I'm so glad that she joined the team. So that way then I don't have to read it. Right. I can just get the cliff notes. Anyway, um, back on topic. Uh, what legislation are you guys watching state and federal? And is there anything that we can do to help you guys? That's a good question. And I actually took notes before this podcast so that I would have something to say. Um, because we have at Kaleidoscope, Mallory Golski is our uh, civic engagement and advocacy manager. And so she's worked in the state house before she came to Kaleidoscope and is so knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, but I will say the three main things in Ohio that we're watching right now are House Bill 8, House Bill 68, and House Bill 6. And so House Bill 8 requires student or requires teachers and school staff to call home and double check name and pronouns if a student uses those at school, um, which is not good because it can result in outing a student, which can lead to safety issues um, if home is not a safe place. House Bill 68 is a ban on gender affirming care for minors. Um, that's all in the news. I'm sure we've all heard so much about that. Um, mm -hmm. And then House Bill 6 is the trans sports ban, which specifically impacts trans women. And so those are all in various committees right now, and their votes should be coming up sometime soon. Um, and I will say a good resource is always Equality Ohio's website. They usually have a legislation chart up with the bills that we're watching to either oppose or support. And then I think in order to help, one thing that is always amazing is either calling representatives or writing testimony to submit on behalf of a bill. Um, I, at Kaleidoscope, we do a whole training on what the bills are in detail and 
you know, how to write testimony, but there are also some like one pagers and helpful little articles on Equality Ohio's website about writing testimony. Yeah, I saw that. I love those pages. As soon as mm -hmm. I saw your advocacy page, I was like, yup, this is where mm -hmm. I like. Yeah. I'm glad you gave us Equality Ohio too, because I'm always mm -hmm. looking for like, where can I send people quickly? They can get like quick information and like the mm -hmm. templates to just send. Absolutely. The template's that. super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, HBA outing a student, like mm -hmm. I don't, if they're not telling their parents what their pronouns are, there's probably a reason that they're right. not. And so what's, what do you think the purpose of, I mean, clearly that it's just because of the parents' rights, I guess, issue mm -hmm. that we're kind of dealing with in Ohio, but why do we need this? And what are we doing yeah. to teachers to, how can we make teachers have to do that? I guess it just seems backwards to me, but I'm asking you uh, questions that you probably are like, I know. Well, <laughs> I think I've heard the argument that pronouns are like protected health information which is fundamentally conflating pronouns with gender identity because somebody's pronouns don't necessarily indicate anything about their gender identity. Talk more, um, tell me more. Yeah, so like, let's say we have a trans female student um, who uses, I don't know, they, them pronouns. And so the student asks to use they, them pronouns in the classroom and the teacher calls home to be like, hey, just so you know, this person is using they, them pronouns. Um, that is not health information. That's just kind of a word that you use to describe yourself when we don't use your name. Um, and so it also kind of medicalizes trans identities generally because it suggests that there has to be a bodily change or there has to be a desire to change um, when you kind of conflate pronouns into the identity piece of it. I hope that made sense. As I was talking, yeah, I was like, does this sense. make any sense? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know what sense. I mean? It just means that we need, just they just need so much more education before mm -hmm. they put a bill. I mean, clearly they just don't know what they're doing. These are legislators that are just trying to put some fear into people and get some votes because they know that this plays on a larger scale, I guess. But it just seems very like, confusing and like there wasn't a lot of thought process mm -hmm. clearly they didn't actually talk to someone who um, right. could educate them mm -hmm. and I will say in some of the hearings that I've been to I've been able to testify um it seems like some of them almost treat this as a joke they're like asking kind of gotcha questions that don't get you <laughs> um <laughs> but I don't think that they realized the like real life and death impacts that even suggesting bills like this can have on our young people. Yeah, I know. Cause I just want to ignore this stuff. Cause I'm like, it's ridiculous. They want us to look at this and be like all upset and maybe we should just ignore it. But then like you're saying, no, this puts vulnerable people mm -hmm. in harm's way and we have to fight against it tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, there might be people who think, well, they're not fighting against this. I guess I'm less than and it, it right. seems we think about this a lot with disability um we have this sub-minimum wage issue people with disabilities are still being paid settlement minimum, minimum wage in ohio mm -hmm. and people just don't know that first of all so there's a big education piece but second of all it's just a valuation of people that's still right. like culture and um when you're talking to legislators about it, they don't get that 
like they don't understand what it's actually doing to people and why the law, because there's movement away from it, but it's still codified in our law. And I'm, I'm a lawyer. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to get rid of the law. Like mm -hmm. I just, I just, I'm going to fight against this until it's done because I get that we're all slowly moving away from this and that's great. Like hooray for all of y'all, but I still want it gone. And I feel like it's the same thing with these kind of bills. Like there's just no place in our state house for this nastiness. Right. There's no place to move forward and to move on to better things. Like it feels like it's like taking us back 10 years. It seems like the legislators who propose these bills have just kind of lost empathy or the ability mm -hmm. to empathize with somebody who has had less privilege than them mm -hmm. um right these bills don't impact them so as long as they're getting a paycheck at the end of the week but don't they like that's what i don't you don't have a single person in your life who yeah. i mean they do they have to right i mean it's just mm -hmm. i think you're exactly right about empathy because i think when you live in like fear in ragey politics, mm -hmm. you lose empathy. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, we've seen the same thing in disability mm -hmm. politics. It's like, how can you possibly vote against this? And it's because they live in a fear-based, like ragey place where they just <laughs> need dollars and cents. And, but that's the other thing. It's like dollars and cents. Like, I just want you guys to deal with budget stuff. Like, why are you right. doing, why are you doing this? Like there's, mm -hmm. There's so many other issues too, like especially in our schools. This is a school education, I guess. Is it in the education committee? I'm guessing it is. It's, it has to do with teachers. Yeah, it's in the Ohio House Primary and Secondary Ed Committee. Yeah, like don't we have enough problems in education? Yeah, education's right. a mess right now to just add that. Like, Let's talk about the fact that we're understaffed and underpaid yeah. in schools and there's an education gap and housing insecurity. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> what? Why are we talking about pronouns? Let's fix the real issues. Right. Yeah. And it also makes me sad. I mean, both of the other bills are outrageous as well. Um, mm -hmm. How can we educate people on the trans sports ban? issue i think people don't understand that either yeah. and mm -hmm. i think that people do are kind of like especially our little ohio um rural like we really like sports around here mm -hmm. <laughs> yes and so how can we kind of educate people on that and what can we do well i think there's probably just mainly a misunderstanding about trans women um so Right now in Ohio, the Ohio High School Athletic Association guidelines set out two very specific ways that a trans woman can compete on a team. And that is either um, she takes hormones that proves that she is not biologically kind of advanced beyond her peers in terms of testosterone levels. And then she also has to submit to um, like a genital exam, like a full body physical exam, um, which is invasive. And also not all trans women want to go on hormones, which is a big thing that we're seeing is there's only one identity of what trans looks like in popular media. And so while that policy is not ideal, it at least allows some trans women to compete. Um, but HB6 is trying to get rid of all trans women in athletics entirely. Um, and so 
this bill was proposed when we don't need to do anything about this issue because in Ohio I believe right now there are like three trans female athletes competing right. of all of the students it's less than one percent um and so again it's just more resources dedicated to fear-mongering because we can't necessarily make the changes that we really need to in society to fix the bigger issues. I saw there was some issue at a drag show in Columbus and I thought it, you all were involved mm -hmm. in that and there were um, protests by like actual Nazis. Mm -hmm. like, um, can you tell us about that? And I mean, to me, like, like Mike DeWine just wrote a, an op-ed on bigotry and how we need to fight against this. And then we have these three bills and we mm -hmm. have fear mongering and he's our governor. And like, I love that he wrote it, but I'm also kind of like, this is why people mm -hmm. are coming out to protest. Like there's all the fear in the state house. It's gonna, and I don't, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, if it's at the state house and then it's out in the society and then it or it's like out in the society and then it filters into the state house where right. do you think that is and yeah tell us a little bit about that particular incident yeah so we uh over at kaleidoscope had planned a drag brunch fundraiser um and some local drag artists had agreed to come perform and so it was over at land grant and it was a saturday morning they all went to set up and compete um and then the Nazis showed up. I don't think they stayed for very long, but while they were there, they were shouting horribly offensive things, both um, transphobic things and racial slurs at people in the drag brunch and just walking down the sidewalk. And so what was really incredible is some of the members of our community at that event, you know, held up blankets to physically shield the people at the brunch from the Nazis. Um, and something that's been really incredible after that event is the way the community has come out to support us and, you know, written letters of support. And we've obviously, I think the all the headlines say we raised a whole lot more money than we anticipated from that. So nationwide and in Canada, we've received donations from people who saw about, about that event. It's scary. That, like, so Pride Month is next month. There's a Pride Parade in Columbus. We'll be there. The ARC always Dang. has a presence there. We're excited mm -hmm. about it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And what, are you all there to like meet people there too? So like we could send people your way? Yeah. yeah. So we at Kaleidoscope, we don't walk in the Stonewall Pride Parade, which is the big one that goes like through the center of town. But we do have a table with resources there. Um, so if you're able to find us, that'd be lovely. I will be there. Um, for at least a little bit, I'm promoting the needs assessment that I'm working on that's at the intersection of LGBTQ and disability identities. Um, and it. then we have our own private pride celebration um, sometime in June as well. That's kind of like a barbecue where we just hang out at Kaleidoscope and, you know, have like a little block party. Tell us about that needs assessment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, shameless self-plug. <laughs> Half of my job is... It uh half of my job is professional development where I go out and educate the masses on LGBTQ things um and then the other half is a needs assessment which we were able to get through the funding from Ohio Developmental Disabilities Council and so it's called Ohio Thrives 
I'm looking at young people ages 12 to 24 who are LGBTQ and have a developmental disability and or mental health issues. Um, so I have a survey that they can complete or if they um, you know, have the language skills and are out and comfortable being social, we have focus groups for young people, which are paid, which is nice. Um, and then stakeholder interviews for youth serving professionals and caregivers. And so I'm collecting all of this data now through September 1st. And in February of next year of 2024, I'll be releasing a white paper with kind of real dollar and cent recommendations about how we could be doing better by this community in schools, public transit, and workplaces. Basically anybody who will listen, I will have something to say. That's amazing. That'll yeah. be great. Yeah, I look forward to that. You know, I like a good paper too. <laughs> True. Jen loves to read. <laughs> no, that is very interesting. So are you kind of, did you come to like different organizations, um, nonprofits? and ask for their help kind of finding people and yes. like take the surveys. Okay. Well, if you need any more, like, let us know at the ARC. Yeah, we'll, we'll be more than happy to help. I would love that. That would be so great. Yes. Yeah. It, it is a little bit hard to find people willing to entertain a queer study in a disability space. Um, so that's been a barrier that we've had. And because this is specifically focused on developmental disabilities, I want to make sure that those identities are like far and wide represented in the study. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's hard because of the caregiver like is necessary for some of the pieces to this um, and it's not um, individualized or? I feel like that could definitely be a factor in it. I think generally there's a lot of infantilization of disabled people um, where they're like, oh, they're not having sex or you know, they don't have a sexuality, but they very much do. Yes. So. Mm -hmm. I think there's some of that. And then just your general LGBTQ stigma. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, some great um, autistic bloggers, writers who are actually talking about these things, sexuality that I read a ton of because I think it's so important. Our culture just isn't, you're exactly right. Like they infantilize people with disabilities and, and then it's like a shock that when they actually are like adults, they actually want to have a sex life and like a real life. And it, I feel like more people just need to be educated on that like way earlier. Um, I don't think our state house is going to allow that, but um, you know, maybe there are some places like yours that are doing the work yeah. on educating people. Mm -hmm. And thank you for doing that because yes. I can't wait. That's going to be some really good information that you'll get. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I um, This is my first job out of college, and so I won't lie, I felt totally underprepared to be designing and leading a needs assessment, but so far, so good. That's great. Where did you go to school? I went to the University of Iowa. Okay. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, now, and it's important. Like data in any respect, in any of our conversations we have with legislators, that's all they mm -hmm. want is the data right. so your the white papers are so important and good survey data um mm -hmm. everybody does these surveys but like they're really hard to do like yeah. a good survey <laughs> and it is hard because you have so much bias that you're trying not to put into the questions that's right mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you guys have a podcast too plug your podcast yes yeah. okay so um kaleidoscope does have a podcast it's called speaking queerly uh, we talk about 
just all of the issues. I, we talk quite a bit about swimming for no reason in particular. <laughs> um, but we have lots of guest stars. We talk to you know older queer folks in the community. We talk to young people at the center um, just about their thoughts and what their lives are like. Awesome. And then how does a young person get in touch with Kaleidoscope? Let's put it all on our, we can put it on our um, website, but give us the digits now in, in case somebody has a pen and they can write th things down. Absolutely. Um, so if you're local to Columbus, we have our drop-in center, which is downtown on East Town Street near Topiary Park. Um, if you are not, we have obviously our podcasts and our social medias. Everything is at KYC Ohio. Um, also for young people, if you go on our website and you fill out the new youth survey, you're can, you can join our Discord, which is a moderated platform where young people across the state of Ohio are chatting um, about all sorts of different LGBTQ identity topics. And that's a great option if it's if getting to Kaleidoscope itself is hard because it is. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's all the ways to reach us. Awesome. I think I, covered, I think I did it, Lindsay. Like we did it. We covered all of the, the questions. We did. We did. We did great. Yay. Usually we get off topic too and talk about swimming or you know not swimming, yeah. but we said, <laughs> we'll talk our about kids did, something our husband said, something. Yeah. I might have went off a couple times, but for the most part, no, you did really great. And this was some great conversation too, and good. Yes, good. it was. Thank you so much for this. Oh, good. I'm glad. I hope I answered everything okay. <laughs> you did. A plus. Yay. <laughs> it was really nice to meet you. Lorraine Cheryl from Kaleidoscope Youth Center. Definitely check them out. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a caregiver, your child can totally check it out from ages 12 to 21. Mm -hmm. um, this will be a great resource for them. It's going to be an amazing resource. Thank you for being here. Of Thank course. You. Thank you you're so much for having so me. many people. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.